Hey guys, it's Becky from Keeping Home. It's officially spring and I have an exciting announcement for you. We just released some new resources on the Fruitful and Fearless website. Being a homemaker involves a lot of strategy and planning to help your home run smoothly. I wanted to take some of the guesswork out of it for you by creating a spring cleaning checklist, a fall cleaning checklist, a page for you to plan out daily rhythms in your home, as well as a page for you to plan out your weekly cleaning schedule. And I'm sure you've heard Jordan and I talk about the cleaning cards we created for each room of the home. Each of these resources are now available on the Fruitful and Fearless site individually. We also created a homemaker bundle that contains all of these resources in one download. So head on over to the site and grab one or all of these resources. We hope these are a help and a blessing to you and your home. Welcome to the Fruitful and Fearless podcast, where we're serving up gospel-fueled courage to the Christian woman to remain faithful in her calling. Hey everybody, this is Jared. I was talking with Jordan and she decided to go ahead and post a recent talk that I did at Hope Baptist Church's conference in Springfield, Missouri. I was assigned the titles by Joshua Jenkins and was commissioned to dive into Titus chapter two. I hope this is helpful for you and this is posted with their permission. And in the same way, Joshua gave me a great title for the last talk. We have a great title for this talk as well. Titus chapter two, verse three through five. The title is Go Home, How Women Can Save the world. Let's pray. Father, we just come to you again. We want to hear what you have to say to us. We want to respond. God, I thank you for the ladies that are in the room, younger to older. We ask your blessing upon their reception of this word. Help us, Lord Jesus. We trust you will. It's in your name we pray. pray. Amen. Well, let's explain the title like we did last time. Ladies are by and large not at home and the world is in a lot of trouble. So the title seems to suggest, and it does, as we're going to see from Titus chapter 2, that if women would go home, that the world would be saved. Now, we don't mean saved in a soteriological sense here. Jesus is the Savior of the world. But the world is in trouble, and if ladies would do what God has called them to do, then the world would be in a better place. But women, like men, have been under assault. Women are under assault currently in more ways than one. I'm going to read three quotes here, and I want you to hear what these three different people have to say. Women have more money, more career choices, and more freedom than ever before. So how come we are all so wretchedly miserable? Our grandmas could be forgiven for shaking, shaking their heads and asking why on earth and what on earth is wrong with women today. We have on the surface Never had it so good. We're healthier, wealthier, and more educated, and even more liberated. We have more choices and broader horizons. We're financially, and in many cases, emotionally independent. And we have more freedom over our sexual and reproductive health. We are, on the face of it, extremely lucky. Why, then, are women today so unhappy? Why, after 40 years of fighting for equality, is the female of of today a growing species of increasingly dissatisfied life? Why are women 10 times more likely to be depressed than they were half a century ago? Alarming questions. Here's somebody else. The paradox of declining feminine happiness. Listen to what Betsy Stevenson and Justin Wolfers have to say. 
By many objective measures, the lives of women in the United States have been improving over the last 35 years, yet we show that measures of subjective well-being indicate that women's happiness has declined both absolutely and relative to men. The paradox of women's declining relative well-being is found across various databases, data sets, measures of subjective well-being, and is pervasive across demographic groups in industrialized countries. Relative declines in female happiness have eroded a gender gap in happiness in which, in the 1970s, typically reported higher subjective well-being than did men. One more. Of all the lies that feminists tell, the idea that career success is more fulfilling than marriage and family is by far the greatest. It is impossible to convey the depth of this lie. For two, it began in the 1960s, this time with Betta Friedan's insistence that being a wife and mother is akin to being in a comfortable concentration camp. Since that time, American women have been walloped with a steady diet of words and images that drive Frieden's argument home. Humans are pack animals. We need to feel a part of a group and feel good about ourselves. Some of us are content to stand apart from the crowd, but most are not. Ergo, cultural messages matter. Women are surprised to discover that work isn't nearly as satisfying as they were led to believe. Since mothering is, mothering is no longer revered or understood to be something a woman would want to do, let alone it should do, women are surprised to discover how heart-wrenching it is to leave their babies and return to work. Long story short, women should be happier based on women's lib ideas, but unfortunately, they are not. It's surprising that you can rebel against God and get less happy. Well, what has the church done about all this? And sadly, just really, I hate to report this, in a lot of ways, the church over the years have been terrified of women. It's just the truth. We have somehow bought into the lie and been scared of women that women can't handle what God has to say to them. And ladies, let me just tell you here today, you can handle what God has to say to you. You don't have to be scared of it. God is really good and he knows how life works and he calls you to live in a certain way. And in almost every church, it's crazy. In almost every church, the pastor knows who the five women are that are going to be offended when he preaches on marriage. When he says the word submit, he knows that there's going to be ladies that roll their eyes and look at their husband. And can you believe what's being said here? They know those women. So we have apologized or soft pedaled or said the opposite of what God has commanded ladies to be and do. It's very sad. We have been shaped by the world rather than being shaped by the word. And the more familiar you are with the world out there, the more you're going to question God's word. And when you hear truth from God's word, when you're shaped and catechized out there, you're going to come to God's word and you're going to think, well, that doesn't feel right. That doesn't sound right. And you're going to begin to question what God has to say. But the more familiar you are with the word, the more the insanity that is out there will really look like insanity. You'll start to question the world and not the word because this is normal. The Bible, the life that God called us to is just normal. It shapes how I think and how I feel and what I want to do. And ladies, if you're shaped out there by what they have to tell you being a woman is, which is nothing today, by the way, literally every single woman's award is won by a male in 2023. And so when you understand God's word, you see that for what it is. And it's just crazy. So be shaped by the word. Uh, how about this? How many times have you heard a woman say, 
being a homemaker just doesn't fulfill me. I just can't be at home. I just can't raise my children. I just want to pull my hair out. I couldn't educate my children. Let me just, a show of hands. Maybe you're the lady that said it and you might not want to raise your hand. How many's heard something like that before from a lady? Okay. It's okay to be honest here. Or how about this? Work really fulfills me in a way that home does not. We need godly pastors and we need godly older women who look at ladies who say things like that and they lovingly say something like this. That is foolish nonsense. And you need to go home. That's what needs to be done. We need pastors who are willing to pastor the women in their church and lovingly rebuke them because they're created in the image of God and they have the spirit of God within them. They can handle rebuke. We need pastors who rebuke husbands who enable women to disobey God under their authority. Let me just ask you this. What if there was a guy that came to me and said, hey, Jared, I, I really am unfulfilled by loving my wife as Christ loved the church. It, just, it doesn't fulfill me. I, I mean, what's really fulfilling is going out here and loving a bunch of other women. What's really fulfilling is not coming home and not being present and going out and doing all my hobbies. My hobbies really fulfill me, but loving my wife like Christ loved the church, it just doesn't fulfill me. Well, what do we say to that guy? <laughs> like, well, so? Big whoop if it doesn't fulfill you. Do what God's called you to do. What are you talking about? Like, repent. That's silly. And so we need to answer a, a fool according to their folly. And sometimes Christians can say foolish things. And ladies, I want to say this as kindly as I can. If you have a, a constant and consistent pull from the flesh, the world, and the devil out there, you need to hear a loving rebuke, rebuke from God's word that says, go, go home. Be home. Be present there. That's where God calls you to primarily be. And it's time for, for women to go home and save the world one dirty diaper and one meal at a time. So... I'm going to do a play on Doug Wilson's 11 ways to save the world or something like that. We're going to look at 10 commands here and say 10 ways to save the world. It's built into the title. So the connection there, I just thought I'd state it. So you didn't think I was just ripping him off. Uh, and it was Joshua that gave me the title. So, so ladies, 10 ways to save the world. Okay. So here, we'll just go ahead and look at the passage. Turn your attention there. Older women, likewise, are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderous or slaves to much wine. They are to teach what is good. And so train the young women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind, and submissive to their own husbands that the word of God may not be reviled. So the number one way to save the world is to be reverent. Be reverent. We see it. It's right there. Not even hidden in plain sight. It just says be reverent in behavior. Older women are very important in the household and they're very important in the household of God. This is why even intergenerational living, don't think I'm totally weird here, it, it, but it's a good thing, okay? When it can happen, you're gonna, somebody's gonna take care of your parents. Either you're gonna pay for them to be taken care of and somebody else's children are gonna take care of them or you're gonna do it, one of the two. And this context of older women teaching and training and older men teaching and training in the context of the local church also happens in the context of the household. And these older ladies, are, they, they have this important role in the household of God and in the household. And, and ladies, like the men, we hear older ladies, at any given time, you're older or younger than some lady. And so older women are to live in this way. And then younger women are to catch this because you're on the way of living like this godly older woman. 
So this godly older woman is to live reverently, and these younger ladies should strive to do so as well. So reverent living would be worshipful living or obedient living. Reverent women know how to give honor where honor is due. She knows how to respect God and to respect her husband. She lives and conducts herself in such a way that is honorable. Her reputation is is of a woman who knows God and knows how to obey him in real life. She's an obedient woman. She knows that Jesus is her master and she is his servant. How many women, instead of living in a reverent way in our day to day, and you just, you see it everywhere. I mean, you can't turn a TV on. You can't drive down without it being on a billboard. You can't see any TV show without recognizing this, but you see that women live irreverently all around us. Women who mock God's commands or roll their eyes when they hear sermons or passages in the Bible like this. You know, I know that I'm in a friendly friendly environment here, but I mean, surely you know that in most churches, sermons like what we're hearing today about the household from Joshua's sermon to my last one to this one aren't welcome in the context of very many churches. To say the sermon title alone that was assigned to me, Go Home, How Women Can Save the World. How many churches in America does that, does that, does that play in? That won't play in Peoria. If you know the phrase, it'll play in the Peoria. It won't play in Peoria. It won't play in the churches around the, in the country. It just really won't. It's offensive because we've been catechized by somebody and something other than the scriptures. A few years ago, Ashley Judd stood, stood up at a, in the context of a rally and she said, if you've heard this or seen this, I'm a nasty woman. You know, she like growled about it. You're like, you really are. Like, <laughs> like, that's kind of the definition of what you're talking about. But it was not without blushing. It was not without shame. This projection of irreverence. And this is, what, this is what feminism teaches. It teaches women to act like the crudest and the worst of men. That that's somehow virtuous. To sleep around, to have no manners, to be brash and to be loud, to be opposite of the kind of woman that God has called you to be. Older Christian women, convert, in contrast to that, are to live with reverence. Women who live this way train up reverent people around them who go out and change the world. They go out and change the world. They, they are showing and modeling the little ones in their home and in their presence everywhere they go, the younger ladies, what reverence looks like. And reverence is a good thing. The second way to change the world is to not be a slanderer. Not be a slanderer. Slander is everywhere. Gossip is everywhere. <clears throat> now, men struggle with masculine sins. As we looked at some of the statistics in the last talk, it's almost exclusively men who commit violent crimes. These are our masculine sins. The, the well-known masculine sins are passivity and aggression. Everybody knows that. There's either a really hyper-aggressive man or really passive man. But feminine sins are also really clear and, and, and also available for us to understand and see. And, and slander or gossip is one of these feminine sins. Now, we've historically understood this. If you watch old TV shows, you you understand that the stereotypical woman is one who talks and is a busybody and goes talking and gossiping from one person to another. Facebook is like catnip to an older woman who's a gossip. It's like there's this, I love it. Who's what? By contrast, the godly older woman knows how to honor people by being quiet when other people want her to spill the beans. She is not slanderous. A woman like this hears other women slandering somebody 
and makes the moment really awkward because she says something like this. You need to stop talking about that young lady. And you need to either talk to that person about it or stop talking about it. You need to bring that to the Lord or bring that, bring that to that person. That's what godly women do. They don't talk about people. They talk to people. And this is what we need in our households. We need households that know the truth and care about the truth and love the truth. And don't slander people. There's enough slander and lies in the world. The household of God doesn't need to, to mimic the world in that. But how many older women act like teenage girls, always offended, always talking about people, never talking to people? And an ungodly older woman can destroy a family, can destroy a church, and they have been all over the world. And you know that there are some mean old women out there. Right? Like if you're one of them, ladies, just stop being so mean. There are some mean older women out there that people just see at the grocery store or they see at the church building and they avoid them at all costs. And in the same way, men, we don't want to grow old and crotchety and get off my lawn. Ladies, avoid being a battle axe. You've heard that, right? Like don't, be the, don't be like that. Don't be that kind of lady, the older you get, that you become the lady, instead of drawing people into your presence, you push people away from your presence. You want to be the kind of grandmother that's raising up and helping your, your daughter and helping your granddaughters and, and you're helping the people around you and there are people that look at you with reverence and say, I want to be like her, I want to emulate her, not I don't want to be around her because what she's going to say to me or say about somebody else. Save the world through truth-telling. The world needs truth-tellers that know the truth, not just in a general way, not just in a natural law sort of way. They know the truth because God has declared the truth and they're women who love the truth. Slanderous women train up slanderous children and they also disciple younger, men, uh, younger women to be like that as well. But truth-telling women raise up truth-telling people. The third way to save the world is through temperance. Not slaves to too much wine. Slaves to too much wine. Now we find out in Crete that there was a problem with abuse of substance. In verse one, uh, chapter 1, verse 12, we're told that Cretans are known as liars, evil beasts, lazy gluttons. So the culture there, uh, the, the, the Cretan culture was one of indulgence and excess. And the warning here, the commands here are always given to particular sins and particular temptations. So when you hear God give a specific command to somebody, what, what's being addressed is, is some sort of sinful impulse. So like what we, we do in our church is in chapter in Titus, or in 1 Timothy chapter 2, the command, men, I wish that in every place that men would raise up holy hands. And this is something that I don't know if many of you do or not, but the particular sin I think is being addressed there is the the sin of passivity in men when it comes to public worship. And you've seen this ebb and flow of, of Christian men in public worship where there's this, this uh, draw to be passive and not active. And then in the context of gender-specific commands in 1 Timothy 2 is this, this awkward command of men lifting up holy hands. Like you're going to have to publicly engage here. Get out of that awkward feeling here. Of You're, you're going to have to do something with your body that communicates that you are obeying what God has called you to do. And so with these gender-specific commands, clearly they're addressing some cultural issues, some sin propensity. And there was this sin propensity, even with godly older women, to be controlled by the intake of wine rather than controlling their intake of wine. The Cretans are gluttons. They couldn't control their intake of food. But oddly, gold, uh, uh, godly older women are called to control their intake of drink. They are not owned by alcohol. They are not owned by the cultural sins of the day. 
They know how to, this, this godly older woman knows how to use potentially dangerous things in the right manner with the right measure. And alcohol has been a popular escape from the difficulties of life and the challenges of life for a long time. And godly older ladies have to face temptations like that. And instead of indulging, they get to enjoy. They don't run from cultural temptations. They see them for what they are, and they're not duped by it. They don't self-medicate to get through the day. And when a woman like this has influence in a home, moderation with dangerous things becomes normal. A godly woman who is temperate, who's able to control dangerous things and use dangerous things appropriately, creates an environment where the people around her They see dangerous things being used appropriately, and that's the normal. Therefore, when children or anybody else see the abuse of dangerous things, they're shocked by it. Wait, you don't know how to control that? You don't know how to do that properly? Because what's normal and what they've been catechized with in behavioral form is proper. They become a family that doesn't look like the other Cretans. The Cretan behavior, which would be the world, the Cretan behavior looked absurd, would have looked absurd because these godly older women knew how to handle their intake of wine. The ladies are to teach what is good. Now, ladies, older women are teachers. It's inevitable, just like the men are teachers at home. Ladies, you are teachers as well. You might not have the gift of teaching, but you are a teacher. And no older woman, and consequently any younger woman who's growing up learning from her, can opt out. You might say, well, I I just am not very good, but teaching is inevitable in the same way it is in the context of a man. You're teaching a young woman to be a godly young woman, responsive to the commands of God, or you're teaching her to be an ungodly woman, being repulsed by the commands of God. You are a teacher. You're teaching them that joy comes through sacrifice, teaching what is good. Joy comes through sacrifice. You're teaching them to not be entitled drama queens who just think life is supposed to be given to them. And the household is a a place, the household of God and the household in your home is a place that little girls learn to become godly women. They have it modeled by the life that the mother or the older lady that's influenced in their life is living. This is what God has called the ladies to teach. Teach what is good. Mothers teaching daughters, older women teaching younger women. Older women have walked with the Lord for years, okay? Godly older women. Now, just like older men, they face mountains, valleys, joys, sorrows, victory, defeat, still standing. Wrinkled hands, vibrant hearts. They know how to wring the neck of a chicken. They know how to make a pot of soup for a lot of people. They know how to bake some awesome pies. Now, it's, it is okay if you don't know how to do those things. You can still be a godly woman. But those things are good too. This is the godly women that we're talking about. They know that they're a woman, that they're not a man. They know the difference. You know, you read this. And I really, I enjoy Elizabeth Elliot. If you read the Let Me Be a Woman, I actually gave Let Me Be a Woman to Jordan before we started dating. And she wasn't repulsed by it. And I was like, yes, that's good. Because I had read it. I was a single dude and I'd read The Measure of a Man Elizabeth Elliot wrote to about manhood. And that's why, you know, a godly woman can write about manhood because the authority comes from the scriptures. It's really, really, it's just it's so, so good. But this is an older woman who knew the difference between men and women. 
And if you read those books, they just stand the test of time because they're, they're helpful. They're faithful to the word. They're really, really good. And a godly older woman, to teach what is good, she knows that she is not a man. She knows she's a woman. She knows that she takes orders from Jesus. She's learned to control her emotions, not be controlled by her emotions. Unbridled emotions are a particular feminine sin that's different from men. Ladies, you are more emotional than men. Okay? Statements like that should be able to be agreed upon. Doesn't mean that there's not emotional men. We see a world full of them, right? But there, there's excuses that you can make through your emotions, the ebb and flow of them. And sometimes they can, hormone levels and all of that. Um, you still have to go to the Lord and the commands of God are still for you when your hormones drop. When your emotions go up and down. And you have to say, God, help me to obey. This is really difficult. And ladies, older ladies, godly older women, women, godly older women, women, not women, know how to control those things. And, and, and they have specific things they're commanded to teach. These older women are commanded to teach what is good and then train the younger women to love their husbands and children. So train the young women. So, so what is the content then? Number five, this is number five. Number five way for ladies going home to change or save the world. Number five, the fifth way. Train young women to love the home. Save the world by modeling the importance of discipleship. Older women train the younger women. Now, they're not training the younger women in systematic theology. Young ladies and all ladies have pastors to train them in systematic theology and husbands, if given to them, that are able to teach them and train them in those things. And it doesn't mean that ladies don't know systematic theology or even couldn't teach it. But the, the commands here are specifically not doctrinal. It's to teach specific things. It's to teach domestic things. Women need training to properly love their husband and their children. Why? Why do they need training? Because, because domestic love seems to be a pretty natural thing. Even a lady that's dealing with substance abuse and her children are in and out of uh, just a terrible situation where the kids are taken by DCFS and they're in and out of foster parents. The assumption of everyone is that, yes, the mother still loves the children. And there is this kind of generic understanding of, of love where there's this, this real motherly love that, that people would, would die for their children. We love our children. But there's something specific here that is timeless that needs to be leaned into a little bit because domestic love is under assault. It's under assault. The household has always been a war zone from the garden to today. Why? Why do I say that? Because the world, the flesh, and the devil, they want women to love a whole lot of other things but to despise loving the household. The world, the flesh, the devil, always on attack, attacking proper domestic love to where it's misordered love in the home. To where the, love, where the home is looked at as something that is less valuable than everything else. That to love somebody else's children or to love somebody else's family or to serve in some other way is somehow more valuable, more important, more satisfying or more gratifying than loving the husband and the ch child and the children. Proper domestic love is difficult to apply. And so the older women are to say, Here, here's how this works. Here's how you love your husband, and here's how you love your children. And then there's a few other ways that we see this plays out. Number six, the number six way that women can go home and save the world is through self-control. It's like self-control is kind of important, right? The older men need to hear about it. 
The younger men need to hear about it. The older women need to hear about it. And these younger ladies need to hear about it too. Self-control. Self-control. We've covered it a lot. The world needs it. And ladies are called to be trained in self-control so they can model that at home. And if tens of millions of women would go home and raise up children who know how to deny their self, to deny the flesh, the world is going to be saved in some sense from this self-indulgent existence. Multiple generations of women going home and teaching, here's how you live self-controlled. I've been taught this from older women, and now I'm teaching you how to live a self-controlled life. This world gets better, not worse, when our children are raised up and our grandchildren are raised up to live in such ways. Just a case study. Family reunion, 50 years from now. It's at your house. You're living on a nice lake now, and... uh, it's beautiful and there's some deer running around. You actually hunt in it's deer season. You, got some, you, you hunt out there and you enjoy it and uh, you just love it. You sit on the porch, you drink coffee and you and your wife, you're loving life and getting along and things are really good. And, and all of a sudden, you know, there's a, a family reunion and you come together and you've got, you know, your, your five children, your three children, however many, and they got their grandchildren and now, now there's some great grandchildren. Okay, we got to make you a little older. We're in the 80s now, 80s, 90s. Grandchildren are coming. It's a family reunion. And let's just say everybody there has been trained in the ways of self-indulgence. Just, just what they've learned out there. They've not learned to bridle their passions or learn self-control. What's that family reunion going to look like? It's a lot, of, a lot of tears. I don't like this food. I hate this food. Now, the whole food battle can be a battle sometimes, right? <laughs> um, but you're going to see generation after generation of selfish people putting themselves first. But if these ladies would go home and train in self-control, then that family reunion looks a lot different. You hear and see in front of you your generations that are living differently than everybody else, else out there. This is the practical impact of women going home to save the world. Number seven, seven way to change the world is through purity. Impurity is everywhere. It's just one little word, pure. To be kind, to be self-controlled, pure, working at home. Purity, change the world through purity. Save the world through purity. Purity, Impurity, we could say immodesty is everywhere. But the Christian woman is called to purity. And when a woman lives and walks with purity... It makes a holy mockery, as the prophets would mock the, uh, the, the Baals. It makes a holy mockery of impurity. Be like that. Be like that. Be a kind of woman like that from the inside out. You don't adorn yourself externally first. Your adornment is internal, and it comes out externally. And you're the kind of woman that's pure. A shining example of the difference between you and Beyonce. Or you and whatever else woman that's out there on TV. You're different. You're pure. A pure woman raises up pure daughters. There's a purity that young men need to walk with as well. That's godly that they're going to pick up in a home of a woman who takes this responsibility seriously. Number eight, save the world through working at home. Every woman is called to work at home. Full stop. Every woman is called to work at home. Can't get around it. It's plain. It's clear. Every woman is called to work at home. They're called to not just be at home. Not to be present in a dwelling place. But to work. And work hard. Ladies, you are built to work. Six days you shall work. Just like men. And you're built for it. 
God has built your bodies for a particular kind of work, a different work than he's built men for. But work is your life. We can't escape it. We've got to build a culture of work. We've got to train our young men with this. We've got to train our young women with this. You're not called to be present at home. You're called to be working at home. Now, men are called to provide for their household. That's going to be the kind of work that's that, that brings some sort of remuneration for the work. It's going, to, it's going to work and there's going to be an exchange of goods and services. I'm going to either start a business or work for somebody or I'm going to work from home or work outside of the home, but I'm going to provide for my family. And the consequence of not doing that is that you're worse than a non-believer. I mean, there's not really even a frame of reference for what that means, but a man that doesn't provide for his household is worse than an unbeliever. But women are called to work from home. Now, in doing this, you are building a home more than just living in a house. And this, from the very beginning of the feminist movement till today, this is what's been under attack. The home is viewed as a prison. It's viewed as this patriarchal place that, that locks you up and it traps you from all your potential. And the idea that's promoted and preached from pulpits of the world everywhere is that your potential is best fulfilled outside of the home. If you give the best of yourself to the home, you're wasting your life. And that's what you're told. And the Bible tells us something totally other than that. Why do you think the government wants women in the workforce so much and wants government paid or subsidized childcare? Why why do they want that? The household has been under attack for a very, very long time. It's right in front of us. It's, it's very easy to see. The world hates biblical households because the government wants to be the household. The government wants to be the household and every other household be damned. That's what they want. To be destroyed, to be set apart, to be, to be dissected and torn apart and devalued and made to look evil. And it's been working. So this scene, is there anything worse in society than a woman who's barefoot and in the kitchen? With that scene, you just want to be barefoot and in the kitchen. Like, I mean, sometimes that would be nice. You know, like, is that the worst thing? Really? Is that the worst thing in the world? For a lady to be home, cooking for her family, enjoying it, having clean enough for us to walk around barefoot? This is a glorious thing that the world has villainized. Is there anything worse than a woman wasting her life by working hard at home, raising children? The enemy knows the power of a woman working from home. The enemy knows the power of women raising children. The reason these lies exist because there is power there that wants to be, that others want to destroy. They don't want people to see the power that's there of a woman working from home. Now, remember, to do this right, you need older women who know how to work at home to teach you. Being a homemaker requires brains, creativity, a strong back, mental fortitude, vision for the big picture. But then there's questions. Well, what about working outside of the home? 
Because that's what people say. That's what people think. And many of you are probably thinking, well, does that mean I can't ever work outside of the home? And here's what I want, just just a caution before I say some things about that. Beware if your first impulse upon hearing this is, but when is it okay to work outside of the home? Yes, but... Because for so many, and I think, I know the audience here, I think for so many, there's a lot of ladies in here who are like, yes, 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 this is great. And a lot of guys are like, yes, but there are some ladies here that still that impulse is like, oh, but this draw, there's such, such satisfaction out here. I get so much affirmation out here. And the work that I do, see, I can see the reward, and there's so much of the work that I do in the home, and I don't see the immediate reward. Wouldn't it be great if discipline work like this, one spanking behavior corrected? And that day you, you talk to your husband and you're, you're laying down at night and you're talking about all that was accomplished today and you talk about the behaviors that were corrected that day and it was visible and measurable and you got to check that mark off the box. How wonderful would it be? But that's not how life at home is. There's a culture that's being developed and it's like this big soup with a bunch of ingredients that takes decades to build and to make. and to. So you're just doing the same thing over and over again and, and trusting God that Unlike the business world, unlike here where you see immediate results and you have to report to a boss and you have to show the progress. I hear so often it feels like in the home that nothing's happening. And you're having to trust the Lord that God is building something amazing here. That God is changing the world through these efforts. And he is. So what about work outside of the home? Everybody's like, Proverbs 31, Proverbs 31. Like, okay, 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 we're we're there. Okay, Proverbs 31 does teach that a woman can work outside of the home after, after the home is taken care of. The home is always primary. Anything done is an overflow or secondary to that. Now, let me just say this. If, if, if there are ladies out here that have greater and lesser capabilities, and there are jobs outside of the home that have greater and lesser requirements. So to give a hard and fast rule to say uh, never outside of the home, and, and you guys need to talk to your pastors and your husbands about this kind of thing, um, and, and, and see and consult them on this. But what we see in Proverbs 31 is as she is taking care of her household, the snow's coming and she's not scared because her, her children are clothed. Before she's clothing her children, she made the observation that these are profitable. The work of her hands is profitable. She's seeing that the things that she's making for her family, that there's a market value here. That if she brought this to the public square, there would be a group of people that would want to purchase what she's making in in the context of her home. But what what she does, she doesn't immediately start an Etsy account. Not that that's a bad thing. She doesn't immediately start talking to vendors and calling vendors and seeing who and how she can start this business right now. She sits on it knowing that it's valuable, knowing that her work is marketable until the appropriate time. And you see that progression in Proverbs 31. She discovers it's marketable. She's making clothes for her household. And only after her household is taken care of does she bring her clothing to the market. And then it goes and even is brought on ships to be taken far away. So not only is it marketable in her local area, but there's something about what she's making for her family that's such great craftsmanship, that's so creative, that there's value for it beyond just that, that, that locale. But she waits to the proper time. She considers a field and buys it. Why does she do that? For the household of her husband. For the productivity of the household. And the husband praises her at the city gates. And so, ladies, there is a time and place for that conversation. 
But your first impulse should always be, no matter what stage of life, when your children are young or old, or whether you have never had children at all, whether you're single or uh, in, how, in the context of, of your father's house still, or if you even living on your own, that's another discussion. But if you are married and you can't have children, your primary, your first primary place of work, first primary, so that's like double importance, first, first, really first, is working from home. That your home is your priority. And you, you, you can't ever change that. There's glory there. Single moms, you can talk about that. The church has to be committed to single moms, to helping every single mother to be home as much as possible to make that a priority. There are practical outworkings of these commands. What about when kids are grown? Well, there's stage of life conversations that can be had as well and need to be had as well about when or when it isn't appropriate to work outside of the home if you guys or if that is, ability is there. But at any given point, if work outside the home, you realize my, my home is not become, this is becoming my priority. You got to repent and then make that priority change. Work outside the home should always come secondary in your heart and in your time. Give the best of yourself to your home always. Full stop. Tragic example of the negative of this. We were at a, a conference several years ago. We used to be in this network called Sojourn Network. Uh, we're out now. They were a bunch of softies, basically. <laughs> and uh, we were at this conference, and they had Hannah Anderson there. And Hannah Anderson is, is a believer. I don't have any uh, reason to, be, to believe that or reject her confession of faith. There's some things that are questionable. But she was talking at this, this uh, conference about how she has these wonderful speaking abilities. And, and if you pronounce or if you announce that you have great speaking abilities, there's something awkward about that. If I get up here and like, you know, guys, I'm really good. You know, there's, there's problems with that. And she had made the statement the church didn't know what to do with her giftings because she was so gifted to public speak. And here's the deal. Just, she's not that good at public speaking, right? <laughs> there was like 150 guys there that could all speak and preach, probably more, a whole lot better than her. It's the affirmative action kind of stuff. It's like, we need a lady who can sort of talk. Okay, put her up there. And it just wasn't good. But she was talking about how she started traveling and speaking and writing and getting all these calls. She was just traveling and all this stuff. And and what she realized is that she was being pulled away from the home so much, but how great this was because my children were really complaining about it. But what happened is they started to pick up the slack and started to do the things that I had previously been doing. And they were now being trained and discipled because I was absent. And everybody was there. It's like, mm, oh, it's really insightful. That's, wow, that's leadership. Oh, my goodness. Force somebody else to do what you should be doing. Um, <laughs> And uh, the household was suffering. And like, I couldn't imagine being that dude, just like listening, I'm like, oh my gosh. Her husband, like if, just the whole dynamic was just bizarre. Okay, now, if that was a guy, and that was a guy who had, uh, was talking about his speaking abilities and nobody knew what to do with his speaking abilities because he was so good, and wrote a book and started traveling everywhere and his home began to suffer and defended his absence, by saying it required my wife to step up. It required my kids to really step up. And I tell you what, my wife, she just wasn't doing enough around home and my absence made her do more. And my kids, boy, I tell you what, they, they, they're chores, you should see how many chores they're doing now that I'm gone. They're mowing the yard, they've power washed the house, they've taken care of the garden, and they take out the cat poop, they do all this stuff now. And uh, boy, it's great me being gone. We, like, we would all, like, dude, go home, man. What are you doing? 
What are you doing? But if you flip it, and that's a lady, even in the context of hundreds of pastors, they're like, wow, those leadership principles are remarkable. So we're not in Sojourn Network anymore. It's foolish. And God said to her, and God says to you, go home. Your family need not suffer. There's work to be done. Go home. Kindness. Save the world through kindness. See it? Working at home, kind, submissive to their own husbands. Be kind. Be a kind woman. I already said it. There's a lot of mean old ladies. There's a lot of mean younger ladies too, right? You see, I think the term is affectionately a Karen. Is that right? Okay. A lot of Karens out there. Karen, if you're in here and a nice lady, I apologize. <laughs> we have a Karen in our church. She's a wonderful woman. Um, a lot of mean young ladies. And the world doesn't need more mean women. They need kind women. Not a fake flowery niceness. It's just always affirming. We need a kindness, real kindness. The kindness of God leads us to repentance. A kind home leads young men and women to repentance. Kindness. Number 10, change the world through submission to your husband. God has made an orderly world. Submission and authority are everywhere. I just read Jocko Willink's book, Extreme Ownership. And in that book, he uses language that the world condemns. He uses things like subordinates and inferiors and superiors. And he talks about those that are in subordination to him in, in leadership structures and talks about different leadership structures. And, and everybody, there's rave reviews about the book. Everyone knows that the world works with authority and submission. It just, it's, it's everywhere. And this is why you can know that the household is hated by so many. Because if you look at authority and submission in the business world, you can get a best-selling book about it. Basically, the whole book, Extreme Ownership, is about... Self, it's, about, it's about covenant headship, federal headship, and it's about self-control. And that's the book. Excuse me. But you talk about that in the context of the home. Rage. You rage at that. These women on TikTok or these trad wives are wasting their life. They're rage. Why would they do that? But the Bible says, submit to your husband. Submissive to your own husbands that the word of God may, be, may not be reviled. Wives are under the authority of their husband. Equal in value, unequal in authority. Now Jesus' incarnational submission to the Father shows the glory of this. The church's submission to Christ shows us the glory of this. We've already stated the kind of man that, that we are called to be. So real quick, let's run through this. What submission is not, what submission is. Husbands have delegated and regulated authority. A husband is to lead like Christ leads. Set the vision for the family in accordance with the word, not his own fancy. Men, please know that. Don't ask your wife to be, don't make yourself the prophet of your home. You're a priest, not a prophet. You don't have some sort of rhema word given from God about what your family should or shouldn't do. Your vision for your home needs to be in accordance with God's word. Okay, so you need to be able to say to your wife, here's why we're doing what we're doing. And through wisdom, we want to invest in this way. We want to do this in that way and, and work it out, talk it out and listen and lean into the, the, to the, to the wisdom that God has given your wife as well. But as the direction setter, he's called to say, here's where we're going. 
He's the protector and the provider, the spiritual leader. Men are, are not to make our wives feel like they have to lead spiritually because, because we're not. We're built to carry that load, the glory and the burden of that. When the husband neglects his duty, we've already talked, it's worse than an unbeliever. If a husband comes to a wife and says, honey, I don't want to go to church anymore. The, the wife should not submit to that because he has relegated and de- delegated authority, delegated and regulated authority. The husband's authority is not universal as God's authority is universal. And so in the same way with the state, when the state says do something that God says don't do or don't do something that God says do, do, then you disobey and you obey God. In the same way, wives are to obey God over their husbands in those particular areas. If a husband comes and says, baby, I want you to do this sinful thing or that sinful thing, or I want you to lie for me, if he's physically hurting or any of those things, then don't submit to that. Doesn't mean immediate divorce or anything like that, but helping is better and superior to enabling. Helper is not an enable, enabler of sinful behavior. But what is submission? Well, submission is following his lead, following his direction. If he is leading and not leading the family into sin, then ladies are called to follow that leadership. God put you together and you've got to trust that, ladies. You need the leadership that your husband offers. You guys were fit for one another. You might, not, you might think, oh, I don't like his leadership. Okay, well, submit to him. Help him. Submit to him and help him. When a man is trying to lead the family, it's easy for the wife to vote present. Like, I'm, I'm here. And she can say, well, I'm submitting because I'm, I'm present. And he, I said, go for it. Gave the thumbs up. Yeah, but you're not on the mission with him. Submission looks like being on board with that mission from financial goals to how many sports our kids will or will not play. Or when we're going to go on vacation or, uh, this year or that year. When it comes to the finances, what's wise and unwise to what church we're going to be a part of or what we're going to do with family worship, have the conversation and then trust him with the decision. Have the conversation. Don't just say whatever you want, whatever you want. Have that conversation. You are his helper. And older ladies, you are called to teach the younger ladies how this works. Younger women, do what you can to find older women that you trust who joyfully know how to submit to their husbands, who have loved their children well, love their husband well, and then submit to them and learn from them. Okay, why is it all important? There's a lot here. 11 ways to save the world. There's consequences of rebellion. Rebellious women do something. It says that the word of God may not be reviled. When young women refuse to embrace what God has called them for, we see the word of God reviled and reviled around them in their household and in their world. Is that not the truth? How many women do you see who have rejected God's purposes and God's ways for them who revile the word of God? It's everywhere. It's absolutely everywhere. Women who say no to what God has called them to do and say yes to whatever they want to do. God's word is reviled. The word of God gets slandered. Some people say, well, God doesn't really speak to women as women. I just need to be Christ-like. Women can do all that men can do. Or men can do all that men can do. Uh, Men can do all that women can do. We just have the same brain, just different bodies. That's fantasy land. That's not reality. Ladies, be a lady. Be a lady. Be what God has called you to be. 
When a woman rejects the love, rejects loving her husband and children, self-control, purity, and working from home, kindness, submission to her husband, she becomes an ugly brute of a woman. If you reject God's ways, you turn into something that's really ugly, even if you have some measure of physical beauty. And sadly, for 120 years or so, pastors, weak men, bad husbands, and consequently society have enabled ungodly women to arrogantly revile God's word. But not here. Not here. Not in your home. Not with your legacy of faith and your generations. By God's grace, you're going to be the kind of women who go home and through the work of your hands, you're going to watch God work to bring salvation to the world. Okay, so non-Christian women. Here's the deal. Same way with the men. Non-Christian women feel condemned. Feel really condemned right now. This is how it works. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. If you're not in Christ Jesus, there's a lot of condemnation because that's what the law does. Feel the weight of your rebellion and your arrogance looking to God and saying, no, I don't like it. And then turn to Jesus, repent of your sins, trust in Jesus, and then obey what he's called you to do, what he's prohibited you from, and what he has limited you from. And do that with joy. Obey these glorious commands. For Christian women, you know there's no condemnation. You hear this and you think, oh, I'm terrible at this. I'm not doing this. I'm not being kind or I'm not doing this or doing that. Okay, hold on. Okay, all right. There's grace for you. All right? There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. In the same way that men, it's always the hard part applying what you know. We know what to do. The hard part is doing what we know we're supposed to do. And ladies, it's the same thing with you. The hard part is applying. God, help me. So you turn to Christ. You have nothing to fear. You're already ladies who do not fear anything that's frightening, daughters of Sarah. But you fear the Lord, so you turn to him. Repent in any area you need to repent. And you just turn your heart towards home. Say, Holy Spirit, help me now. I want to walk away from this and I want my home to be different because of what I'm doing by your grace and through the power of the Holy Spirit. Friends, there really are ways that the world can be changed. And this is what God and how God has called us to do it through the power of the Holy Spirit and through the work of the glorious gospel. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you for this time. Let's pray a blessing on these ladies. In the world of females, there's a lot of females that don't know what it means to be a woman. And I thank you for this room full of women, godly women. I thank you for these little girls who are here, and I pray that you would help them to grow up learning from godly older women what it means to be a woman. God, I thank you that we have promises, promises from you about your work in our homes and in our lives, that even if we don't see immediate progress, immediate results, you are working and your kingdom is progressing. It is advancing. And we're thankful for your work through our humble efforts. Help us the rest of this day. We trust you will. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Hey, everyone. We want to thank you so much for listening to the Fruitful and Fearless podcast and continuing to come back. You guys have certainly been an encouragement to us, and we hope we've been an encouragement to you as well. We want to continue this work, and we need your help to do that. If you'd head over to the Fruitful and Fearless website, it's just fruitfulandfearless.com. You can find memberships there that are different tiers. 
that contain different benefits to you as well. If you want to just support us for the heck of it because you're enjoying the show, that's always a blessing as well. But we try to make it even more worth it for you with recipes, groups, for homeschooling and cooking, baking, natural health. We try to put as many resources on there as we can. But thank you for your support. It greatly helps our family.